Welcome to the Mount Zion Wesleyan Church Podcast. We hope this message encourages you, challenges you, and inspires you to step into the life God has for you. For more information about our church, visit us online at mountzionwesleyan.com. Father God, we thank you that you are on the move. Father, we believe that you are up to something incredible. Father, to each and every one of us, within the sound of my voice, there is an invitation this morning to join him in the work of redemption here on earth. Father, we are thankful for that. We are honored by that. We are inspired by that. So find us faithful. And all that we say, and in all that we do, and all God's people say, amen, 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 and amen. There was a pastor by the name of John LaRue who was a pastoring in Portland, Oregon, and he was invited by one of his congregation members to join him in an addict recovery course class. So as an effort to support him, he decided to go along. And as they arrived, they took their seats and someone stood up behind the mic, someone that John, he was not familiar with. He did not know him, but he began to tell his story of that week. And what he said was, he said, I knew it was going to be a very bad day. And about that time, about three-fourths of the, the room, they, they raised their hand. And John thought that was a little bit strange, but he just went along with it. He said, by noon, it was a bad day. I had problems that I did not have answers for. I had employees that did not show up. There were gaps that I could not fill. I was frustrated. I was exhausted physically, spiritually, emotionally. And that time, more hands went up. And he said, and the only fear I had that day, and it created actual anxiety in me, was that I knew at five o'clock when I was off work, I was going to have to drive the same way home that I had the day before and years and years previous. And in doing so, I was going to pass the liquor store. And I knew I was going to be tempted to pull into the parking lot more hands went up. At the end, John LaRue, got into the car with his friend and they were leaving and he said, hey, listen, that was awesome. Thank you for inviting me to be there. But I have one question. What was the deal with all of the hands? And his friend said, we have one rule in recovery and that is you do not struggle alone. So anytime someone says something or does something that you can relate to that you also struggled with that week, you just simply raise your hand. And I heard that story, read that story, and I thought, man, isn't that beautiful? Isn't that how the church is supposed to be? We all walk in to this room week after week with struggles, with temptations. We all walk into this room after having done war battle, fault. And the temptation is that we feel like we're we're all alone. 
there's this Japanese art that is called the golden joining, which pottery, it is broken. And instead of taking clay and feeling the mended pieces back together as they piece it piece by piece, they will take gold and they will almost with surgical precision mend the broken vase together with gold trim, making the broken vase more expensive and worthy and valuable in its broken state than it was in its original state. There is power in our brokenness. There is power in our struggle because there is power and there is freedom in our confession. Psalm 32 is where you're going to join me today. Oftentimes, when we read the Psalms, we do not understand the exact mind or the situation or the context of the psalmist when they were writing the psalm. But Psalm 32 is different. We know what David was struggling with, what he was walking through. We know the guilt, the shame, the condemnation, the brokenness that he was fighting in that very moment, pen in hand. You see, in 2 Samuel, we read the story of David. The scripture says that while his generals and soldiers were away at battle, David found himself in the comforts of the palace. And as day began to fall, David found himself at the roof of the palace. And there he saw a beautiful woman named Bathsheba who was bathing. Here's the thing about David's story. Did he know that when he walked up the stairs and found himself looking over the entire kingdom that he would see Bathsheba bathing? I think he did because Culturally, this is the time that the water that was heated by the sun, which was on the roof, it was the warmest. And this is the time that women, a designated time that women would bathe themselves. So David sees her. And I think that his palace was higher than any other house, a place of business. In other words, David, from his rooftop, he got all the channels. He could see whatever he wanted to see. And he inquired about Bathsheba and his servant as a way almost to warn David, to counsel David. When David said, who is that beautiful woman? The response was, that, that's Uriah's wife. In other words, David, that's not your wife that you are looking at, that you are being tempted by. But like we often do, David ignored the warning. He ignored the red flags. He ignored the caution. He ignored the counsel. And he summoned her to his bedroom. There, they conceived a child. She became pregnant. And David, when his sin, his indiscretion, 
And it was looking at him, and it was facing him, and it was now a reality. He had a decision to make. But much like you and I, David thought he was smarter, more clever, more cunning. So he had Uriah return from the battlefield, and there he got Uriah drunk believing that Uriah would return home and sleep with his wife and his Uriah would believe this is my child and David, he would be resolved. No more issue, no more predicament. But Uriah, scripture says, he, he was a man of integrity, a man of honor. And while his comrades and while his friends and brothers were out fighting, he refused to find himself in the arms of his wife, so he slept on the front porch of his home, refusing to go in. So David still faced with a predicament, with a problem. So he penned a letter instructing his generals to advance the army forward but then to withdraw, leaving Uriah and his other soldiers exposed to the enemy who was advancing. Uriah literally delivered his own death certificate, his own sentence, his own death warrant. I used to think it was cruel when my parents used to make me go out in the front yard and pick my switch. I can't, I can't even imagine carrying my own death letter. But this is what happened. And Uriah was murdered and David finally thought, I'm done, it's over. I fixed it. So he marries Bathsheba, the widow. Brings her into his home and says, this is my child. She is with baby. And he thinks he's done with it. But God, scripture said, was not pleased. <laughs> so a prophet came and stood before David confronted him with his sin. And in this moment, David is left with the decision to make. Many of us walk into this room this morning with a decision to make. <laughs> Many of us this morning walk into this room carrying sin. And we think we've gotten away with it. We think that we have dealt with it. We think it's hidden. But make no mistake about it. God knows. And it's staring us in the face too. Every human is born with a predisposition, a tendency to sin and to hide. Sin, it derives, it is rooted in evil, fallenness, brokenness. Rebellion. Hiddenness is rooted in good. It derived in good. And we all have a decision to make. I had a friend who called me a few weeks ago with a sin to confess. And they confessed the sin again. It wasn't the first time, but it happened again. And that's how they start the conversation. I did it, Luke, again. And it was eating them alive. Conviction, shame, 
guilt. I can't believe I'm a pro. I can't, it just, you could see, hear, feel the tension, the wrestling. And I chuckled. And he said, it's not funny. You don't understand what I'm going through. And I said, brother, don't you understand? Three years ago, this wouldn't have even bothered you. But today, you can't even sleep. Today, you can't even look yourself in the mirror. Today, you're convicted. And he said, Luke, and this is where we're gonna unpack this morning. He said, Luke, I just wanna be innocent. Ah, do you hear what he said? I wanna be innocent. Not I wanna be forgiven. He had been forgiven thousands of times, just like I have and just like you have. But he intuitively, instinctively knew that there was something greater, something deeper than forgiveness. There was innocence to be had, holiness to take hold of, purity to be gained. As if what was lost in the garden was forgiveness. What was lost in the garden was innocence, righteousness, holiness, purity. But we will settle for forgiveness. How many of us settle for the slate to be clean? all the while setting aside the greater mandate, the greater call of innocence. As if God in heaven has a ledger with each and every one of our sins that we commit listed out with beside it being a blank spot. And the goal of my life and your life is to have when we stand before him in that empty space, forgiven, 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 forgiven. Blessed is the man who is forgiven. But is there a call or more. In the Psalms, we see that there are seven Psalms of confession, of forgiveness, of redemption. If you have a pen and paper, write these down because I want you to spend some time this week unpacking them and reading through them. Seven Psalms of confession, forgiveness, and redemption. And that is where today's teaching comes from. So you have Psalms 6, Psalm 32. Psalm 38, Psalm 51, Psalm 103, Psalm 130, and Psalm 143. Once again, Psalm 6, 32, 38, 51, 103, 130, and 143. And in this, we find the blueprint of our greatest desire 
innocence, holiness. It is the journey, it is the blueprint of how to obtain it. But let's, for this morning, let's turn to Psalm 32, beginning in verse one. Psalm 32, beginning in verse one. I'm gonna be reading out of the New Living Translation. Oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sin is put out of sight. Yes, what joy for those whose whose record the Lord has cleared of guilt, whose lives are lived in complete honesty. So David in this moment, he begins almost as a beatitude, happy, happy are you when your sins are forgiven through confession. And this word forgiven, oftentimes when we read it, we believe that God forgets our transgressions, our sins, our poor actions of behaviors, thoughts, and deeds. But God does something far more than spiritual amnesia. Do you know how I know this is true? Because those of us who are married, when we say an unkind word or when we lie or when we treat our spouse in a way that is unbecoming or less than God's best, and when they pray to God and intercede on our behalf, and when they say, God, will you please convict Luke? Would you please bring this to his attention? Will you please help him discover another way? God is not in heaven saying, he did what? He did not say that. I, I would, maybe I forgot. I did forgive him. That must be it. I will have couples come in who are experiencing relational dysfunction. They'll sit on the couch in front of me and they will begin to articulate what they believe is the root, the foundational cause of the dysfunction that is separating them as man and wife. And one of them will say, no, 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 no. I forgave you. And I'm like, whoa, 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 Scooter. Whoa. That's a big word to be throwing out. Do you realize what you just said, what you just committed, what you just promised? When you forgive someone, you forfeit the ability to take what is in the past and to hold it against in the present, the here and the now. To forgive is not to forget, it is to choose not to take hold of. So three years from now or three minutes from now, when you say, I forgive you, you let go never to take hold of again. David is saying, blessed are you when you have this understanding. In the Hebrew mind, to forgive is to take and to let someone else's who did not do it, cause it, or possess it, to carry it. Blessed are you when you realize Christ Jesus carries your sin. For those of us who believe that he is Lord and Savior. He carries your sin and you are blessed because of it. Verse three, 
When I refused to confess my sin, my body wasted away and I groaned all day long, day and night. Your hand of discipline was heavy on me. My strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. David is saying, when I chose not to hide it anymore, not to excuse it, not to explain it, not to accept it. When I chose to allow God's word, his instruction to define what was good, right, and holy and stop trying to figure out the gray areas of my spiritual journey and the loopholes, which we do all the time, well, God's word doesn't really say that. It doesn't really speak to that issue specifically. So it must be okay. All the while ignoring in regard to sexual sin, watch this. God's word says that to be sexually pure and wholly innocent there is a relationship between a man and a woman in the confinement or institution or instruction of marriage. So if you are involved in a relationship with someone that is not of the opposite sex, or if you are not married and you are having sexual relations, or if your partner is not present and you are having sexual relations, that is sin according to God's word. But he, does he say it? Yes! I just said what he said. What are we talking about? I don't even think it was in my notes. What are we? <laughs> David, here we go. David stopped playing the victim. He stopped trying to make excuses for his behaviors, for his indiscrepancies, for his mistakes, for his sin. Verse five, finally, I confess all my sin to you and stop trying to hide my guilt. I said to myself, I confess my rebellion to the Lord and you forgave me all of my guilt, I broke, I was exhausted, I was tired of carrying it, the guilt, the shame, the condemnation, so I turned it over to God and he immediately forgave me. He forgave you, but many of us have not forgiven ourselves. We have chosen to spend the rest of our days punishing ourselves living in isolation or torment because of what we did. Verse six, therefore, let all the godly pray to you while there is still time that you may not drown in the floodwaters of judgment. One day we will stand before a holy and righteous God and the good loving father that we love who loves us, he will be our judge. And as good as he is and as loving as he is, he is also righteous. 
In other words, we're not promised another day. For you are my hiding place, verse 7. You protect me in my trouble. You surround me with songs of victory. Not shame, not condemnation, songs of victory. The Lord says, I will guide you along the best pathway for your life. I will advise you and watch over you. Do not be like a senseless horse or mule that needs a bit and bridle to keep you under control. Many sorrows come to the wicked, but unfailing love surrounds those who trust in the Lord. So rejoice in the Lord and be glad. All who obey him shout for joy. All whose hearts are pure. Every Sunday, you walk into these four walls. And many of you, you are carrying sin. Many of you have committed a sin this week. Many of you today. I had someone tell me last week, Luke, I hadn't sinned in 30 years. And I said, well, that's two right now. <laughs> Pride and lying. We, we carry sin into these four walls and we don't know what to do with it. We've been conditioned, we've been groomed, we've been taught to hide it, to conceal it. We are a holiness church. And in the holiness tradition, in the holiness church, you don't sin. You're above it, beyond it. So we lie. We do, not outright, but we do. Sin is a word you don't hear mentioned in the church anymore, especially that in the holiness tradition because of this reality. I have a struggle, I have a tendency, I have a predisposition, I have a personality issue that leads me to, to make this decision over and over and over again. There's an indiscrepancy. Let's just call it what it is. It's sin. How do you know? Because Jesus had none of it. Who is our humanity? Now, some of you in the Reformed tradition, uh, Baptist and Lutheran, Presbyterian folks, you guys are like, give it to him, pastor, give it to him. I like where you're going. Your problem. <laughs> Your problem is that you've normalized it. Your problem is that you've accepted it. If a holiness person believes that they don't sin anymore, you believe that it is normal and that any bit of holiness or innocence that you have, you've borrowed it from Christ Jesus. And like a rich uncle, you just keep adding to the tab. You said Jesus paid it all, but I'm just going to keep adding to the bill. But what if there's a third option? What if there's a way that we don't have to hide it, we can admit it? But we don't have to accept it either. 
What if there's a way that we can actually quit it? Stop it. Feed it. You see, Psalm 32, verse 1, what we oftentimes miss is it says in verse 1 that not just forgiveness. I don't want just forgiveness. I want innocence. Verse 2, I want the removal of the deceit. I want deliverance is what they are saying. So what does this look like? Is this possible? Not to hide your sin, but not to accept it. Five rules of confession that we learn from the Psalms that I mentioned earlier. The first one is this, and if you have a pen, write them down. The first one is this. It's not so much what you did, it's what you do next that matters. What you do after the sin determines everything. If you hide it, inevitably it'll get worse. If you confess it, it will get uncomfortable, but it will get better. If you hide it, conceal it, it will eat you like a cancer from the inside out. It'll make you miserable and everyone around you. But if you confess it, God can redeem anything. Anything. Rule number two, when you sin, it's not a judge that you stand before. It's a father. Last week, we talked about a good father. Man, we love to think about God as a good father until we sin, and then we think that he gets the ledger out once again and picks up the gavel. When you confess your sin, if you feel a crooked finger in your chest condemning you, heaping on guilt, shame, condemnation, that is the enemy's voice. That is not a good father's voice. My good father takes their child, puts their arm around their shoulders, and counsels them with wisdom and love and nurture. You can't impress God with your words nor with your deeds, so stop it. Humble yourselves, submit to his goodness. One day, you will stand before him as judge Until that day, he wants what's best for you. He's good. Rule number three, when you sin, we've talked about this. It's not a pardon you are after. It's instruction. You are not after forgiveness. You're after holiness, innocence, purity. Tony Dungy writes a book about leadership in the eyes and through the filter of coaching. And he talks about when a player fumbles the ball, messes up, loses the game. He said, no matter the situation, no matter the ramification, there are three questions that I always ask of that player that determines if they get to play for him on his team. 
And as I read these questions, I thought, man, these are good questions that I can ask of myself when I find myself convicted by sin. Question number one, what did you do wrong? Dungey says, if they can't tell me, the situation is far worse than I thought. What did you do wrong? Define it, name it, call it out. Number two, what should you have done different? Number three, what are you going to do next time? And once again, if they cannot name it, it's worse than you thought. But when you find yourself struggling, being tempted, found out in sin, convicted by sin, what did you do wrong? Name it. What should you have done and what are you going to do next time when you face it? Rule number four, identify the what but focus on the why. It's not about the act often. It's not about what you did, but man, that's where we focus. We get so caught up on what we did and we beat the mess out of ourselves and others by accusing them and drawing to their attention and reflecting and ruminating on what we did wrong all the while. Why did you do it? We spend so much of our life here on earth dealing with symptoms of the fall, but never getting to the root of it. Dealing with the symptoms of the disposition, but never the root cause. Why did you do it? Because if you only deal with the what, which is important and you have to name it and you have to confess it, but you never deal with the why, you're just going to continue to repeat this habitual cycle over and over and over and over and over again. Or you will replace this sin with another sin. Why did you do it? And I'll round third with this one. Number five, it's not just what you confess, it's when you confess it. And the psalmist, David, closes by saying, because it was him, so he's reflecting, oh, what should I have done? He says, don't be like the stubborn horse or mule that can only be controlled with a bridle and a bit. Don't be the wild dog that can only be controlled with a leash. Don't make the evidence confront you before you confess it. Don't make the case clad shut, locked tight, having Nathan stand before you saying, David, this is what you did before you confess your sin. When you sin, you confess it. When you sin, you go to the Lord and to others God for forgiveness, others for healing, Scripture tells us. I want to lead us in a moment in a time of confession. So with every head bowed and with every eye closed, I believe that every one of us is carrying a sin. And you may say, Luke, my whole life's a sin. I'm a smoking mess. Well, just choose one. You got a lot to work with, okay? Just choose one. And you may say, I, I honestly, I, 
can't think of, of a single thing. Ask your spouse or someone close to you. And even if it's a blind spot and you don't admit it, acknowledge it, or see it, start there. Maybe there's some truth to it. Maybe there's a reality to the accusation, to the critique. And once God has revealed what that sin is, not an indiscretion, not a struggle, not a mistake, call it what it is, anything other than God's best for you, anything that is keeping you from stepping into the life that God has for you, a life of holiness, right living, purity, innocence. What is it? You have it? Can you name it? For some of you, you've been struggling with it for so long, you have pleaded to God to take it away, to remove it from your life. And yet you still struggle with it so you have believed the lie that it must not be a sin because what kind of God wouldn't remove it? So you've normalized it. You've justified it. You've lived with it so long that you run to it every time this world hits you in the mouth feel exhausted or worthless. But what does God's word say about it? How is it affecting your relationships, your witness, your reputation? What are you going to do with it? When you name it, why do you do it? Are there things that seem to always accompany it? Do you seem like you gravitate towards it or fall victim when you're exhausted? When you're grieving? idol, when that anniversary of that tragic event comes year after year, why? Why do you do what you do? Don't you see? You're not just looking for forgiveness, for the slate to be wiped clean. Forgiveness is a remedial step in the journey of becoming holy, innocent, pure, sanctified. Oh, it is a part of the process, but it is not the end goal. 
Father, where we are in this moment, vulnerable, broken, poured out. Father, as we have laid our lives, our history, our future at your altar and on your operating table, God, will you reveal in us the things that are not of you? things that we have placed in darkness, may we drag it screaming and fighting into the light, your light. And may we surrender it to you. Father, may we bring around us the accountability necessary. May we take the steps required. May we do the hard work of heart work. God, may we be redeemed, restored, and released here on earth. Thank you for forgiveness. Thank you, God, for calling us to bear your image and likeness. Have your way in us, with us, and through us. In your strong name we pray. And all God's people say, amen. Thanks for listening to the Mount Zion Wesleyan Church podcast. We hope this message has inspired you to take a next step in your walk with Jesus. For more messages or to watch our full worship gathering on demand, visit us online at mountzionwesleyan.com.